Oh, man. Isn't that great? We just, we just heard a few stories about what it was like for new dads uh, in the hospital when their children were born. And I always think about um, the week that my oldest daughter, Atlee, was born as probably the messiest, most chaotic week ever. See, uh, she was late showing up, and we were like four, five, six days past her due date, and, and, but we knew she was coming, right? We didn't know if we were ready, but we knew it was going to be time soon, and, and finally the hospital was like, okay, okay, we get it. You want to have the baby? Just show up, and, and we did. That, right there, that's us. Uh, look, look, look how young and rested we look, right? <laughs> that's us right before we went to the hospital. Uh, so we, we, we drive two towns over to the hospital, we, we get checked in, and, and Amy labors for most of that first day. And, and finally at 5 p.m., one of the nurses turns to me and says, listen, it's not going to happen right now. You need to eat. She's in good hands. We're giving her an epidural. Just go. Go get something to eat. Come back in an hour and you guys can rest. And I'm like, great, because I'm exhausted. And working so hard, <laughs> watching my wife go through labor. <laughs> so I drive to get dinner. I drive back to the hospital. This whole thing is like a total blur, by the way. I'm totally tired. And I realize I don't have my wallet. I can't find it. I go back. I retrace my steps. See, obviously I had it when I bought dinner, but now I like fully don't have my wallet. And I'm calling Panda Express. And they're like, sure, man, we'll call you if we find it. And so I'm stressed because that wallet has my license and Amy's license. Ooh, right? See, Amy didn't want to uh, have to deal with having a purse while she was in labor in the hospital. So she gave me all her stuff to carry in my wallet. So I have just lost my credit cards and Amy's credit cards my medical card, and Amy's medical card. I, I hear like the women be like, ugh, yeah, ugh. <laughs> oh, jeez, oh. Everything. So I find myself in the absolute insane position of having to go up to our labor and delivery room and, and go to my, my beautiful wife, who is like in twilight sleep on the cusp of being a mother on, on the cusp of our lives changing forever and just like getting down to her level, just being like, hey, honey, how do you cancel credit cards? <laughs> I can see some of you are worried. Everything worked out. My, my friends, uh, they like all found a bunch of extra cash and they pulled it and they came to the hospital at midnight and gave us the cash and we made it through. Never found the wallet though. So if you ever had a Panda Express in Antioch and you see a dark blue Velcro wallet kind of like this <laughs> with two sets of IDs and credit cards, that's mine, okay? I just remember that moment as being the start of this crazy anxiety-inducing kind of like thing like, oh man, I, I am not ready for all of this. I'm like, if this is how my new life of being a dad and having kids is going to start, oh boy. Now, any of us who are dads have felt like I did, right? Just overwhelmed and, and underprepared. And some of us counter that by putting on the right uniform. Check out this article I read this past week. I love this. Look at this headline. New dads are channeling classic dad fashion looks on social media, and we love it. Here's how this article starts. Check this out. There's a new fashion trend sweeping social media. New dads are channeling the classic dad look. 
donning outfits that consist of dad wardrobe staples like white sneakers, tube socks, cargo shorts, and polo shirts, and the results are a combination of nostalgia and humor. I started looking at these pics, and I just started laughing. Look at some of these, like this guy, this first guy right here. I don't know if you can read the caption, but the caption says, they always say you should dress for the job you want, and I'm proud to say I finally got that job. Hashtag Nike Monarchs, hashtag Girl Dad. Check out this next one. This guy says, I recently became a new dad and put my uniform on while still at the hospital. I've been planning this for a while. <laughs> How about this? This one's good. I don't know if you can read the, the caption. It says, put on my dad uniform today and began the journey of fatherhood. Check this out. I had to use my dad's actual shoes because my wife won't let me buy dad's shoes. <laughs> I, these crack me up. I love them. And it's, it's, it's funny, but it's sort of like, this is just one response that people have when they feel worry or, or when they fear the future, how they prepare for new intimidating challenges in their lives. Like, if I just dressed apart, I'll be fine. The, the thing I loved the most was this TikTok. You might have seen this. It went viral last year. Check this out. laugh at something like that, but I, I just want to, just for a moment, can you think about the little truth that's sort of hiding in plain sight in a video? Life is coming for us whether we're ready or not. Life is coming for us whether we're ready or not, and we might find ourselves having to change and adapt to that new life without a whole lot of warning. We won't have, we won't have control over it. One day we're going to wake up and things are going to be different. There's, there's going to be a, a really ugly pair of shoes waiting for us. But no, seriously, life is coming for us. The day after I lost my wallet, um, Atlee was born. That's cuter than your kid, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, and she had to go to the newborn intensive care unit almost immediately because she was sort of lethargic, and she wasn't really eating, and, and things just weren't normal. So they took Atlee from us to be cared for by this incredible team of nurses. And, um, but also, my, my wife Amy wasn't doing too great either. They found out that her body's reaction to labor was actually pretty traumatic. And she was in real pain. And she's also dealing with that emotional stuff of the fact that we weren't even able to hold our own baby. Like, she was in so much pain that she wasn't even able to get out of her bed to visit Atlee in the NICU down the hall. And so, so Atlee had a whole other incredible team of nurses caring for her. Amy had her team of nurses caring for her. 
And the nurses were so good to us. And they just said, hey, we have room here in the hospital. No one else is beating down the door, demanding your bed. What if you guys just stay here in the hospital as long as you want? And we did. We spent six days after Atlee was born in the hospital. And Amy was healing up. And Atlee was healing up. And I was just hanging out. Like with my thoughts. I remember they had to, they had to call me um, every two to four hours to, to go down to the NICU and feed Atlee through this little tube that they taped to my pinky. And because, like I said, Amy couldn't really get out of bed to, to feed her. But, but outside of those feeding times, um, I'm just by myself. I'm at a hospital. It's like a weirdly empty hospital in an unfamiliar town. No wallet. <laughs> Completely new reality. And it, it, was, it was heavy. New reality. Can, can you relate to this? This isn't just a, a, a dad thing, right? Like, let's take a minute and let's think about this. What adventure, what new season, what new thing or journey has got you scared or, or intimidated? Or just simply thinking, I don't think I have what it takes to, to do this. I recently had, had coffee with a friend of mine, um, and their job was changing pretty drastically. And it was a good change, right? It was like more responsibility and more money, but it was also really intimidating. And I remember them telling me, Derek, I've only done one kind of job all my years of being an adult, and now there's this new, unfamiliar thing, and I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up. Maybe this new thing isn't a positive thing. Maybe someone you love is sick. And you're looking at this, this complicated life that's coming, right? This life of caring for them and, and handling details. And, and, and there's grieving and also stress that comes with that. And maybe you're looking at it going, I'm not built for this. Someone else could, could handle this way better than I could. Maybe it's something that's not fully unexpected. Maybe it's life-changing, like we all know it's going to change, like kids getting older, parents getting older. But maybe you're looking at it going, no, 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 not yet. I'm not ready. This is scary. God says the words do not fear so many times throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament when things were like really scary. I'm just going to go through a few of those times if you guys don't mind. We see God saying to Abraham when they first meet in Genesis 15. God says, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your very great reward. Later on in Genesis 26, he says to Abraham's son, Isaac, as Isaac is trying to find a new home for his family, he says, I and the God of your father, Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. He says it to Jacob as, as Jacob is on the cusp of a new, unfamiliar land. He says it in Genesis. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Years later, he's going to say to the Israelites, as they're leaving Egypt after years of brutal enslavement, right? They're the most unsure of their future that they've ever been. And we hear him say it through Moses. Check this out. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Again, he says it through Moses, as they 
ends their journey, as they begin to enter a new land, he says this, do not be afraid of the people of the land. And there's Joshua, as Joshua's getting ready to take over from Moses. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. We can skip even further into the Old Testament. In Isaiah 41, God is talking to Israel, and they're absolutely battered, and they're dealing with this new reality of exile in Babylon. And God says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever stopped to ask those words? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. What does, that, what does that really mean? What do I do with that? What do you do with that? Is it that easy? Oh, okay, God, don't be afraid. Got it. Turning off all fear. It's not that easy for me. My guess is it's not that easy for you. You see, my worry is that we can be led into thinking that being scared or intimidated of the future is a bad thing. Like we're disobeying God. Is that disobeying God? Was I disobeying God and I was sitting by myself in this empty hospital cafeteria waiting for the next feeding call and stressing about what's coming? Stressing about if my wife's going to be okay, if my baby's going to be okay? And if I'm up for this, this dad thing? Are you wrong to be scared or to feel fear? When you're not sure how you're going to pay this month's rent? When you or someone you love gets that, that dire health diagnosis or, or when your job is on the line? See, God's command to us is don't be afraid. But, but that idea by itself, that, that don't be afraid, just shut it off, it isn't working. And the reason I know it's not working is because deep down inside, I'm still afraid. We know it's not working. We know that because we're freaking out still. So, so one thing we do is we decide that if we just put on the uniform, fake it till we make it, like the new dads in those photos we saw, we'll be okay. Another option is to get tough, to, to buck up, right? To, to be independent. Like we can force it. Like we can just... Be brave. Be tough and decide, I'm not going to be afraid. And it will just happen. When I, um, when I started thinking about Father's Day, I, I thought back a bit to my history um, in the church and what I've seen about how the church has talked about fathers and men in general and, and pulling even further back, how they talked about things like bravery and courage for all of us, right? Men, women, everyone. Uh, you see, I grew up in a, a pretty charismatic church. It wasn't stuffy. It wasn't super traditional. And maybe some of you grew up in an environment kind of like that, like the, the evangelical church of the late 80s, early to mid-90s, like right when church got to start being really cool. And I'll be honest, sometimes it seemed like, in the church I grew up in at least, there was this focus on masculinity and bravery and being like tough, like ready to take on everything. And in fact, some would probably say it, it's still going on today, but there was such a focus on, on manning up and putting on the armor of faith and fighting the enemy and like 25 or 30 more totally belabored war slash fighting slash being tough metaphors. 
I gotta say this, a lot of these metaphors come straight from the Bible. I'm probably not supposed to call them belabored. I'm sorry. Uh, we had songs like God's Got an Army and We Are More Than Conquerors. We went on men's retreats that were all about facing your next adventure with fearlessness and being courageous and being bold. We were given books to read about being tough, not being afraid. We, some of us had rallies our dads took us to about being in charge of our families and fighting for them and not being scared of the evil around us. We even had the power team. Do you guys know, do you guys know about the power team? Anybody who grew up in church? Anyone know about the power team? Oh, thank God, it's not just me. See, the power team was a ministry where a bunch of bodybuilders and powerlifters came to your church and they like ripped phone books in half and they broke flaming cinder blocks and the reason they did that was to share the gospel. I've, I've had a few moments in my adult life where I've mentioned or described the power team to someone who didn't come from the same background like I did and they always think I'm joking. But it, it was very, very real. <laughs> but I remember the 13-year-old me being so pumped like, God, oh, that dude is bending rebar over his head. That dude is breaking boards. This is so wicked. It's, it's funny because as I've gotten older, I can hold all these things, right? The books and the retreats and even the power team. I can hold it in one hand and I can see the good things about it. And I can also recognize some pretty unclear signals about fear and strength and what God has to say about it. You see, growing up in church, I heard a lot about what dads, and furthermore, men, were supposed to be like. We were supposed to be protectors, providers, spiritual leaders. And let's, let's actually pull back our view just a bit, because it's not just men, and it's not just the church. It's all of us, right? We have all been conditioned, we've all been programmed even, to be independent, to battle through life, to be bold, to be self-governing. And it just doesn't work like that for all of us. And so when we're afraid, when we're intimidated, when we're scared or stressed about what's coming next, we're sort of subconsciously taught to feel a sort of, a sort of shame about it. Here's where David dealt with it. David, in Psalm 23. We hear David talk about his fear and how he deals with it. And I want to take a moment here to read the full psalm. It's pretty short, and some of you might know it, but the psalm says this, 23, starting in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hmm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I love that song. I, that's like when the first like scriptures I ever memorized when I was a kid. I love that song. And that's David talking. Do you guys know about David? Killed Goliath, a giant warrior, as a little boy. 
then leads the nation of Israel, becomes king, conquers the city of Jerusalem. He then writes the Psalms that we read and sing in church. And then, if that's not enough, then becomes the forefather of Jesus, the Messiah. And when we read Psalm 23, here's what we see David do with his fear. He imagines himself as a sheep. Can we talk about sheep for a second? I love sheep. There's this, um, there's this popular sweatshirt that I've, I've seen uh, some of the moms at my daughter's school uh, wear. And uh, if you have this sweatshirt, I'm not making fun of you. No shade, I promise. But the sweatshirt says this. It says, raise lions, not sheep. And listen, I, I mean, it. I, I understand what this shirt is trying to say. It's saying, raise kids who are independent, who know right from wrong, and who will help others know the difference. Raise leaders. And I love that sentiment, but that is just one example. I see in our world today this idea of being sheep as being, like, bad. Bad. <laughs> it's all stand and pray. Uh, no, it's good. I'm so, I feel so bad I did that. Thanks. Someone said respect. Respect back to you, man. This idea of sheep being bad or just sort of lame. Like, we call people sheep when they follow something or someone that we think is silly. We, we call people sheep when they just believe something blindly without asking questions about it. We call weak people sheep. We say, be fearless. Don't be scared. Don't be a sheep. Bikers don't have patches of sheep on their jackets. Look at me, I spent time in tattoo shops. Trust me when I say, no one is getting sheep tattoos. <laughs> but David isn't listening to that. Go back to the Psalms. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and he pulled from his life and his experiences when he wrote those Psalms. In fact, and I read this um, the other day, I've read that some people think that David could have actually written that specific Psalm. We just read Psalm 23 when he was a young shepherd boy, when he was watching his father's flocks on the very same field where a thousand years later, the angel choir is going to announce the birth of Jesus. How, how cool is that? See, there's this thing that we tell writers. It's write what you know. Write what you know. And David knew about sheep. He knew about the, the relationship between sheep and their shepherd. He knew about their relationship to him. He knew how he was to view his sheep as his responsibility, his charge. And it's worth it for us to pause here for a moment and just ponder this. Just think about this. Sit here for a second and, 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 and just imagine. David saw parallels between how his sheep related with him and how he related with God. David looked at his sheep, harassed, helpless, uh, just, just, just scared. And he goes, oh, wow, to God, I'm like the sheep. Sometimes I'm helpless. Sometimes I'm scared. That's okay. Okay, because I have a shepherd who is stronger than me. And that shepherd is with me. See, we read Psalms like Psalm 23 a lot over the course of our lives, and, and, and it's easy for us to miss some details. Here's a detail. Do you ever notice that when we first start out, the way that Psalm is written is almost like from the viewpoint of a sheep talking to another sheep about his shepherd? He's like using the phrase, my shepherd, he does this, he does that. Like, like picture two sheep. Oh, there we go. 
on opposite sides of a fence. Just talking. Picture it mostly because it's like super cute to imagine. But also, I want, I want you to catch this, those two sheep. Doesn't it almost feel like one sheep is kind of bragging about his shepherd? He's like, oh, you have a shepherd? Cool, I do too. Yeah, my shepherd's great. Oh, yours is great? Okay, shut up. Let me tell you what mine does. <laughs> but in the middle of the psalm, something changes, something shifts. And all of a sudden, the, the, the pronouns change. This dynamic of sheep talking to sheep about their shepherd, it switches to the sheep talking directly to the shepherd. Look at this. We go from the Lord is my shepherd in verse 1 to something entirely different, right? Because the, the personal pronouns start to enter the picture. And now it's, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear the evil, for you are with me. Not my shepherd is with me. Not this guy who I know who follows me around with a stick is with me. You are with me. See, there's a familiarity with the shepherd. See, think of that first chunk of the psalm we read as like winter and spring, right? The sheep are home. They're boasting of their shepherd, maybe across the fence, maybe to other sheep, I don't know. But, but when summer starts, it's time for the shepherd to take his sheep, their sheep, and start their drive up to the high country. You see, the most efficient shepherds, the ones that know the most, they will take their flock to distant ranges for the summer and fall. They will leave everything and everyone else behind and take their flock and, and start traveling up. Up to uh, unseen mountain meadows, these remote alpine clearings. And, and the cool thing is the sheep will now spend their summer in the close companionship, in the solitary care of the good shepherd. See, their, their shepherd is going to take them somewhere else. And it's just them and the shepherd. No owners, no other flocks to deal with, no fences, just them. Have you been there before? Like when there's such peace, such, such oneness with God that you don't want to leave it? See, David, when he wrote this psalm, when he wrote Psalm 23, he knew about this time. He knew about this terrain. He knew what was expected of him as a shepherd. The start of David's story, the Bible talks about when Samuel comes to David's house to anoint him as king over Israel, and David's not there not with his father or his brothers at their home ranch. He's high up on the hills, tending his father's flock. They have to send for him to come down, to come home. See, he knows about being with his sheep. So the, um, the shepherd has taken their flock up to the mountains, but every shepherd worth their weight knows that the best route to the top is always along the valleys. Ask anyone who's done this or even walked and travailed land like this. Every mountain has valleys. That sounds so plain and boring to say. I could go on Etsy and sell that on a pillow for like $25. <laughs> Every mountain has valleys. It's true, though. Every mountain has sides that are, are scarred and marked by, by deep ravines and, and gulches and, 
It can be dark. It can be scary. There can be predators there that will, that will threaten the flock, but the shepherd will lead their flock, lead their sheep, lead you and me gently but persistently up to the top. And those paths are going to wind through some dark valleys. Your valleys are going to look different than my valleys. We all have these different valleys, right? It's going to be changing of seasons, things being harder or just different than we're used to. It's going to be health or job security or just all-around direction of life. But there are going to be valleys. That is the inevitable thing about this journey the shepherd has us on. But, But I want you to read that verse again. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't say I die there. It doesn't say I stop there. It says I walk through. I walk through. I don't die. That's not my life from now on. That's not a long-term thing. It's I walk through. I've been reading um, some stuff by this uh, conservationist named Philip Keller. He spent years of his life in land management and ranch development. I'm reading it because I'm a dad, and that's what I get to do with my time. I read books about <laughs> ranch development. I'm never going to own a ranch. Just reading a book about uh, sheep. But this guy, Philip Keller, he knew something about shepherding. He had been a shepherd. And so here's what he says about David and how David wrote what he knew when talking about his God. This is all from the book. Check this out. He, meaning David, knew from firsthand experience about all the difficulties and dangers as well as the delights of the treks into high country. Again and again, he had gone up into the summer range with his sheep. He knew this wild but wonderful country like the palm of his own strong hand. Never did he take his flock where he had not already been before. Always he had gone ahead to look over the country with care. All the dangers of rampaging rivers and flood, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, the the ravages of predators that raid the flock, or the awesome storms of sleet and hail and snow were familiar to him. He had handled his sheep. He had managed them with care under all those adverse conditions, and nothing took him by surprise. And Check this part out. He was fully prepared to safeguard his flock and tend them with skill under every circumstance. And it's something that David is, uh, he's telling us about God. David is saying, when it comes to his fear, his worry, everything that threatens to grab his attention, David is saying, my God's been there, and my God is with me. He's saying, my, my fear of this moment is natural, and yet I'm with someone who's been there, and they are a good shepherd, so they have scouted the land. They know what's coming. I don't, and that's okay. I'm with someone who does. Later on in the Bible, Jesus is going to sum up this idea by saying this in John. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what does that mean for us? Those of us who are scared, who see life coming at us fast, we don't know what to do. 
Maybe we're dads. Maybe we're getting ready to be dads. Maybe we're deep in the dad life or just parent life. Or maybe we're anyone in any situation that feels unfamiliar and scary. I got one that's going on right now. I've got some family health issues that, I, I, honestly, close family members, I, I, I'm, it's, it's just scary. You see, for, for those of us living our life in the here and the now, there are trials. There are valleys you're going to walk through. There are valleys I'm going to walk through. Things that seem new, things that seem scary. There, there are disappointments, there are frustrations, discouragements, things we don't think we're ready for. Dark, difficult days, or just even things ahead of us that are unknown. And yet, the, she- the, sh- the shepherd has been there. And the sheep, the, the ones who are known by their shepherd, they know that their shepherd is with them. I want to wrap up our time together by, by asking you to think about a few things. There are some of you who are on a mountaintop right now. And you're seeing things work out in a good way that's comfortable and everything is smooth. You probably have a really healthy view of this and you probably know it's not going to last forever, but for this moment, you're at ease. And my encouragement for you is this. Hear me out on this. Enjoy being with the shepherd. That withness we're promised, that, that oneness that we're told is ours, it is precious. And you know there are valleys coming. That is the definition of life that Jesus lays out for us. You will have troubles. You will have seasons. But for now, you're on the mountaintop. You're with Jesus. You're with the good shepherd. That's good. Rejoice in that. That's yours. You have that. But for some others of you, you're walking through a storm. Or you see a trial coming down the road towards you. Or you're on the edge of a new season and you're intimidated and you're scared and that's okay. Your fear doesn't disqualify you. Let me say it again. Your fear doesn't disqualify you. Your fear doesn't disqualify you. You belong to a shepherd who has seen all of this before and that shepherd is with you. It's my encouragement for you this morning is to lean into that and believe it. Let yourself be led by a shepherd who knows where you're going and isn't surprised by the terrain at all, isn't scared. They scouted ahead. Can we um, stand together and, and pray and just end our time together? Hmm. Jesus, we... Um, Jesus, we come to you now, and in different ways, we are learning to see yourselves, see ourselves as existing in relationship with you, our shepherd. We're not doing this alone. We, we recognize that that was never part of the bargain. You are with us. And God, will, will you teach us again and again this week, teach us that our fear of the unknown can only find its solution can only find its answer in the hope and the confidence we have that you will be with us in all seasons. God, will will you take my ideas of courage and fearlessness? Will you take our ideas of bravery and what it means to be brave and strong? Will you take that and will you also show us the way of being a sheep and relating to you as the shepherd?
A shepherd who leads us on good paths, who knows where we're going. We love you, Jesus. Everyone in this room said? Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Father's Day. Have a great day.